Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. You're listening to Prime Time on Money FM 89.3. I'm Rachel Kelly, and now it's time for Eco Money, where we bring you the latest in sustainability and finance. Now, the past seven years have been the warmest on record, and sea levels have risen at two new highs. Well, that's according to the latest report from the World Meteorological Organization. And this report broke just as leaders from around the globe gathered in Scotland at the start of climate talks set to define the future of climate action and finalize the details of implementation for the Paris Agreement. Now, Jen Hui Tan, Global Head of Stewardship and Sustainable Investing at Fidelity International, says that global leaders have years, not decades, left to keep the planet within 1.5 degrees warming scenario. And he has added that the stakes for the COP26 summit couldn't be higher. Jen Hui joins us on the line now to share more. Good to have you back with us. Thank you for having me back, Rachel. So let's start off uh, taking a look at the weather in Scotland over the past few days. It has been a little bit wet and gloomy at the start of the climate talks in Glasgow. Do you think this is a reflection perhaps of overall sentiment and concern or, you know, understanding at the sense of urgency that these talks have? So I certainly hope not, Rachel. (laughs) Um, I think the scale of the urgency is well understood, Mm -hmm. both by society now and by world leaders. I think the question marks around what kind of actionable policies are we going to see come out of COP26 that will help move us on? So I think at the G20 Leader Summit in Rome, the the immediate precursor to COP26, the G20 leaders did commit themselves for the first time to taking action on a 1.5 degree target the first time the G20 has formally acknowledged that as being the key objective here. And they also pledged to stop the financing of coal internationally by the end of this year as well. So I think these are um, useful commitments, but they are clearly not sufficient commitments. What we need is more ambitious and higher quality nationally determined contributions, i.e. the commitments that countries are making to achieve carbon reductions within their own territories. These have to be significantly more ambitious. The current uh, trajectory projects a 2.7 degree warming pathway, which would be disastrous for our planet. Mm. And then these NDCs also need to become legally binding and they need to be measurable, transparent and accountable to society. Well, Genui, that said, sensing the caution that we've seen at the G20, do you think we're going to see things get pushed a little bit further at COP26? I hope not. As you said at the beginning, Rachel, we don't have a lot of time to act. I think this decade is going to become decisive in whether or not our planet is able to limit global warming to not more than 1.5 degrees above what it was in pre-industrial times. I think, I hope, I should say, that COP26 will take some significant steps forward but I don't think it will be enough. I think the other key aspect of COP26 is that it has become a galvanizing force on industry and on finance to accelerate Mm -hmm. private sector climate ambitions as well. And that I think speaks to the key role that the private sector and the finance industry in particular has to play on this. We want to set more ambitious targets. Fidelity just recently announced its own net zero ambitions and our goal to halve carbon emissions on our investment portfolio 
by 2030. But we need to do this in partnership with national governments and with regulators as well. And that said, Jenhui, goal three of COP26 is to mobilize finance. It says to deliver their first three, first two goals, developed countries must make good on their promise to mobilize at least $100 billion in climate finance per year by 2020. But international financial institutions must pay, play their part and they need to work together, unleashing the trillions in private and public sector finance required to secure global net zero. And this is something that you've spoken about in the past because you've shared that tens of trillions of dollars are needed to reach climate goals. So what kind of targets do you think we might then see when it comes to the financial element and the role that financial institutions play from COP26 conversations? So I think there's three things that we should look out for that will really help to meaningfully close the gap. The first is direct capital commitments to help address the financing gap. So in other words, public finance commitments to provide the kind of infrastructure and the research and, de- the research and development that is critical for the climate transition. So for example, when you've, you know, we've spoken about this number in the past, up to $130 trillion of investment are going to be required in clean energy and green hydrogen alone by 2050 if we're going to limit warming below two degrees. So that's the first aspect of it. The second aspect, I think, is the creation of market incentives, i.e. carrots and sticks. We need to be reducing fossil fuel subsidies immediately, and we need to implement carbon markets. In other words, the famous Article 6 of the Paris Agreement. And the purpose of these carbon markets will be to create a price for carbon, which internalizes the cost of those emissions at the source of those emissions. In other words, the polluter should pay for those emissions. And finally, we need rules to implement the framework that was agreed six years ago in Paris. Paris was a framework. It it set the overall objectives for the world, but now we need to know how we're going to operationalize it. And that includes, as you say, the promised $100 billion of technology transfer and monetary support from the developed markets to the emerging markets. We're speaking with Jenhui Tan, Global Head of Stewardship and Sustainable Investing at Fidelity International. So, Jenhui, from an investor's perspective, when you're looking at where the money needs to go, what does this mean for investors and the investment community? I mean, where is the potential here? So I think in any scenario coming out of COP26, mm-hmm. investors need to be bracing themselves for a balancing act with regards to climate change. And by balancing act, I mean the seesaw dynamic between policy risk and physical risk. And what I mean by this is that if we don't mitigate climate change fast enough, then it is very clear we're going to be facing a multitude of physical risks to the environment, i.e. acute and chronic changes to climate patterns that result in extreme weather events and second order implications like mass migration, conflict around scarce resources, food shortages, and so on. But if we act without proper thought and consideration, we will create increasing transition risk, policy risk, in other words, that arises from companies going from high to low carbon intensity, and also going from low to high climate resilience. And these risks could include things like the fueling of inflation, which we've studied very carefully as well. And the reality, I think, for investors is that it's going to be a combination of the two. Mm -hmm. We are already at 1.1 degrees of warming. 
And there is a need for both trust mitigation activity together with physical risk impact analysis to look at our existing assets and see where the real climate risks are coming from. And that, Jenhui, is the opportunity, isn't it? I mean, while there are risks and, you know, this, this is a time of grave concern, investors have the opportunity to change things, don't they? We have the opportunity. We also have the responsibility. Mm-hmm. I'd say the spotlight is very much on the finance industry today when it comes to climate change, probably like no other issue before. And the finance industry collectively has a responsibility to bend private capital flows towards the kind of technological solutions, the kinds of innovations that we know that we need in order to have a habitable planet. But that 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 bending of the flows is going to create really significant investment opportunities. We know that transition to net zero requires the funding of technological solutions and disruptive business models, as well as accelerating the transition of existing uh, business models through our mechanisms of capital allocation and engagement. And we can be expecting a great deal more regulatory scrutiny as well. Mm. A lot of regulators, especially in this part of the world in Asia, are now putting in place frameworks, both for companies and for investors, to be increasingly disclosing on climate risks and climate investments. And so this needs to be part of the business as usual of any asset manager. And I think finally, we need to be developing the supply of investable products for investors as well. The demand side has actually been very well catered for. We have seen significant inflows into sustainable funds in the last few years. I think the opportunity now is, can we connect those global capital flows, all of that investment dollars, into projects, particularly projects in this part of the world, projects that are really going to move the needle in terms of our ability to meet our climate goals? and be able to develop those kinds of meaningful solutions that's going to push us towards net zero. And when you say projects that are going to be able to move the needle, which sectors are you looking at? Are we talking about alternative energies, infrastructure? So all of the above. And I think that's the, that's the real challenge now. And I think maybe in some parts of the investment world, it's still underappreciated how far-reaching the race to net zero is going to be for every part of the economy, not just the parts of the economy that have traditionally been regarded as being more carbon intensive. So clearly, energy will be transformed, utilities will be transformed, materials will be, mining will be transformed, because we need a lot of those raw materials, whether it's lithium or nickel or graphite, in order to power this new energy revolution. But then at the same time, we need to transform food systems. Agriculture accounts for a very large part of greenhouse gas emissions as well. We're transforming consumer behavior. Consumers, I think, are increasingly becoming more and more aware of the need to put their consumer dollars in a sustainable direction. And that is changing the way in which businesses are responding to that consumer demand. And so from a financial services professional um, element. They, I guess there's a lot of reskilling, upskilling, upgrading, understanding of the changes that we're seeing happening within the industry on a global scale when it comes to regulation, when it comes to um, understanding different industries, how they're evolving, how they're changing, and what the what the opportunities are going forward. Yeah, 100%. Uh, actually, I'm very excited about this trend, which I think is one of the trends that is least talked about in this transition, which is the rise of the dedicated sustainability professional within finance. 
you know, I think the demands of ESG have always been there, but clearly there are significantly more than they used to be. And there needs to be more trained sustainability professionals to meet that demand. But at the same time, the role of those jobs is changing. So in the past, you could have said, well, it's mostly about data and dissemination of that data. Mm-hmm. But now I think you can clearly say that ESG has moved to the heart of business strategy. And you need people who are genuinely multi-skilled. You need people who understand the worlds of finance, the worlds of regulation, the worlds of climate, the worlds of product development, the worlds of marketing. You need people that can blend all of these two things, all of these, these, these things together. And you need people who are able to lead and influence in terms of their soft skills. You know, the engendering the change the finance needs is not just about putting in place the right procedures and policies and processes. It's also about winning the hearts and minds of the existing finance professionals. How can you influence these individuals that control these capital flows and make sure that they are bought in on that journey, make sure that they genuinely see the value in it as well. So actually, if you think about, if you put it all together, the sustainability professional of the future is going to look quite different from the skill set of the finance professional today. And I think that is tremendously positive. I think that has the real potential to transform our industry and to make it a better industry. Wonderful. Well, Jenhui, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you. We've been speaking with Jenhui Tan, Global Head of Stewardship and Sustainable Investing at Fidelity International. You're listening to Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg. Or download our audio app, that's A-W-E-D-I-O, available on Google Play or the App Store.